Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Thank you. If you've got your Bible handy, uh, keep it handy. We're going to work our way through those verses this morning and it will be to your benefit if you can follow along uh, as we do that. There are outlines at the door. If you didn't get one, uh, there still should be some there and you can use that to follow along or take notes uh, as is your pleasure. Now this may surprise you but I have never been in a beauty pageant. I know that's a shock. Uh, I'm sorry to let you down. I've still got time, I believe. Uh, But I've seen enough. Uh, I've seen enough on TV and in movies to have a rough idea of usually how it works, the general proceedings. Uh, And in my understanding, every contestant at a beauty pageant has a chance to speak. Uh, And they're typically asked, well, what are are your hopes? What are your dreams? Uh, What are your ambitions? What would you like to see in this world? And there's an answer which is almost compulsory. Uh, It's stereotypical, but everyone has to say it. My hope is for world peace. It's almost as if you don't say that, uh, you've got no chance of winning. I hope for world peace. Of course, that's a good thing. <laughs> like, no one's going to dispute that answer. Uh, what a great thing to hope for. Who, who wouldn't want world peace? But here's the thing. I want them to ask the contestants, how do you see that happening? How do you see that happening? How would you see world peace being achieved in our day? Because that's a hard question and it's nice to watch someone else squirm in front of other people for once. I mean, how, what, what would you do? How would you achieve world peace? Do you just go in and you know, defeat the baddies? Well, that actually just creates more violence at first, doesn't it? And of course, there's the added problem that in some parts of the world it's actually very difficult to tell who the baddies actually are. Well, do you choose diplomacy? What if it doesn't work? There's plenty of situations, it just won't. Do you just say, well, we're going to bring in some good rulers to this place and we're going, to, we're going to put the right people in leadership? But again, you have the problem, who's going to choose them and how are you going to put them there? 
Is it actually possible? See, it's a problem, isn't it? No one's going to dispute that world peace is a really good thing, but I think we can all recognise that trying to make it happen is just about impossible and usually is a path to a whole lot more conflict. See, the problem is we're actually really broken people. We're actually too far gone uh, to get this done on our own. See, what we need for world peace is someone bigger than us, someone stronger than us. We actually need someone far better than us who can help us achieve this, who can do this for us. And as you might have picked up from what we read in Isaiah, that's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas promises. A king has come and this king has come to bring peace to the world in a remarkable and strange and wonderful way. And in these verses that we're looking at this morning, that's what Isaiah tells us all about. The king is coming and this is what his reign is going to look like. And so that's what we're going to see today as we work our way through these verses. Now Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is uh, teaching the people in Judah but concerning the whole nation of Israel as well. And Isaiah is looking forward to a rescuer because he sees that himself and the people around him are in a really bad way. Uh, in terms of the, the national situation, the, the times for this country are tough. It is a difficult time. There are many enemies all around them. But what Isaiah sees and what he's already said in his book is actually the bigger problem is in the people themselves. The people are corrupt. They're, they're, they're doing the wrong thing all the time and they're getting themselves into all these awful situations. That's actually the issue. That's why the problem, people need a rescuer. And that's who Isaiah says is coming. A king is coming. But he is not just a king. He is the king. Look again at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Uh, the, the stump of Jesse refers to the line of Jesse, his, his uh, descendants, of whom the most famous is David, King David, the greatest king God's people ever had. But Isaiah says that line is now just a stump. <laughs> There's nothing left of it. It's hopeless. Until now. Because a shoot's going to come up. This line is going to continue. Someone in that royal line is going to be born. He's going to be like David, but he's going to be even better than David. A true king, a good king. A special king. Look at verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now, in itself, the spirit resting on God's kings is not an unusual thing. The spirit rested on all God's good kings, on, on David, on Saul. And it enabled the, the spirit enabled them to do their job. But the language here is different. This is unusual. This is special. The, the measure in which the Spirit is going to come down, the extent to which this king is going to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit. He's going to be guided by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to determine everything he does. And what we find when we press fast forward in the Bible is that the Spirit does come on a particular person in a very special way. You get to Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and we see Jesus' baptism and this is what we read. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened 
and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And in that moment, Jesus, the true king, the descendant of David, receives the Spirit visibly, obviously, in a way that has never been seen before. And what's being said is, he is Isaiah's king. He is this guy we're looking forwards to. He is the rescuer that we need. But how is he going to rule? Well, that's what Isaiah turns to next, verses 3 and 4. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Jesus is going to reign like no other king. He is going to reign in true justice. Not, not human justice, not simply by what he sees, not simply by what he hears, the, the evidence before him. He is going to judge with righteousness. He's going to look at the hearts of the people he judges and judge decisively. He's going to judge them perfectly. And when Jesus judges, when Jesus reigns, every person is going to get exactly as they deserve. He won't make a mistake. There will be no one afterwards who says, that's unfair, you you kind of got that wrong, Jesus. Because God's spirit is in him and will guide him in every decision. It will be righteousness when Jesus judges. Is that a good thing? Look at the second half of verse 4. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. See, here's, I think, uh, one of the problems we have when we come to this text. We think, yeah, a righteous king, that sounds great. (laughs) How good does that sound? You know, the bad people, they're going to get what they deserve and the rest of us, we're going to be fine. It's going to be good. We, we, we look at these verses and we identify ourselves with the poor or with the needy and we think we don't really need judging. We're all right. Others are far worse. They're going to have a hard time when Jesus judges but we're fine. We're going to be overlooked. But that's not what, Jesus, uh, that's not what Isaiah is saying here. And it's not true, is it? I mean, just think back to your schooling days. In the distant memory, perhaps, for some of you. Uh, think back to what it was like when you did something wrong. Uh, think back to which teacher you liked in that situation and which teacher you disliked. I'm going to guess you disliked the strict, the strict teacher. You know, the stickler. Now, every school had one. It was the one class in which you could not do a single thing wrong because the full weight of the law would come down heavily upon you and you would give up all your lunch times, well, or to the cane if you lived in the wrong era, for many weeks to come. Uh, it, was, it was frustrating and you just couldn't stand that teacher because everything got punished. I'm guessing you were like me and you liked the lazy teacher. You, were like the t- you liked the teacher who was just like, whatever, you know, okay, the, the really serious things got punished but, you know, anything else could just slide, just have a laugh and move on. I'm guessing you liked that teacher. I certainly did because it was fun. You didn't have to worry But see, that's why the idea of a righteous judge is terrifying. (laughs) Because a righteous judge, a perfect judge, a holy judge, he cannot let things slide. Otherwise, he wouldn't be what he's said to be. When Jesus comes, he's going to judge by God's own spirit. He's going to see what's in your heart and judge you righteously by that. Not by human measure, not by human standard, but by his standard, which is holy and perfect. 
That's a scary thought, isn't it? Uh, you only have to look earlier in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, he, he sees a vision of God in all his holiness and righteousness and even Isaiah the prophet falls down in terror because that is so scary. It is so terrifying. That is what it was like, is like when God judges us. That is how Jesus is going to rule. That's a scary thought. That's perhaps a side of Christmas we don't talk about very much. But that's because there is a bit of hope here as well. Have a look at verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Yes, King Jesus is going to be perfectly holy in his judgment. But he's also going to be perfectly righteous and perfectly faithful as well. He is going to do the right thing but on the other hand, he is also going to be merciful to his people exactly as he'd promised to be. So the question is how? How can he be both just and faithful? How can he both punish the sin of his people and also be merciful to his people? How can those two things possibly come together? Well, the answer is only by something incredible only by doing something completely unexpected and totally radical. And that's what we read about in Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, all deserve to be judged, all deserve to be punished. And yet it goes on. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And it continues, it says a few verses later, all of this happens so that God would be shown both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, something miraculous, something wonderful happened when Jesus died on the cross. In King Jesus, justice... And faithfulness, seemingly at odds, came together and in him sin was justly punished and mercy was graciously given. And the result is that his people, all of those who trust in him, go free. Their penalty paid and faithful mercy shown. And so this is what it says in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All of that can happen only because Jesus is the righteous king, the just king and the faithful king who makes justice in his own death so that we, you and I, can go free. And what that means is his righteousness, his justice is not a terror to us. It no longer holds that fear. Instead, what it actually holds for us is hope because we know that what Isaiah said is true. A day is coming where he will judge all people by God's righteous standard and by God's perfect holiness. But here's the thing. On that day, his people, those who trust in him, those who have put their faith in him, they won't be filled with fear. They need not be filled with fear 
Because Jesus, the great judge, king, is not against them. He's on our side. He's with us. On that day, we we won't stand in the defendant's seat. We won't be in the, the box itself. Our case has already been heard. We've been acquitted already. The judge himself incredibly has stepped in and he's taken our punishment. It's gone. Our slate is already wiped clean. Our record, as long as it was, is gone. And so that day holds no fear for us but only awe because we'll see him revealed in all his perfection and all his wonder. We will not be judged again. We will not be found wanting. We will be found in him whose death paid the price for our sin. And so that day for us, that day when he comes, will be a day of hope. Because on that day, all injustice that we see, all that is wrong, will be made right. Every deed will be revealed. It will be shown for what it truly is and justice will be served. Those who thought themselves above justice, they will receive it in full. Those who thought themselves below justice will see it done. The true, impartial, righteous king will rule with justice and true equity on that day. It will be to the hope of those who've trusted him. It will be to the terror of those who've denied him. And what will that look like? What will it result in? Well, that's what Isaiah tells us in the remaining verses. He shows us what justice looks like in practice. And the picture he paints is beautiful indeed. Look at verse 6 and 7. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. No, it's, it's, it's a startling picture, isn't it? It's, it seems almost absurd. But that's the sort of peace that, we, that, that, that Jesus is going to bring. Natural enemies, natural rivals will be able to live together, will be able to share in, in harmony. And not just them, this is not just a once-off thing that's been spoken of, it's their offspring too. This is, this is a state that lasts forever. Even kids and snakes can play together. Look at verse 8. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest Uh, Letting your six-month-old crawl around with snakes will no longer be irresponsible parenting. (laughs) That will be okay. You can do that if you choose. There will be no danger there because that curse at Eden that the the children of the woman and the offspring of the snake will be at war, that's broken. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone forever. And instead, the blessing of Eden, the perfection that God created, the, the true harmony is regained. When Jesus comes, when his rule is extended, there will be utter peace and utter rest. Why? Look at verse 9, the first half. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. See, what Isaiah is telling us here, what God is telling us through Isaiah is that now all creation is near God again. The whole world, in fact, can be called God's mountain. It's not that the world has been reduced to God's mountain. Instead, it's that God's dwelling place has come to the earth and now fills the earth entirely. All people live near God because God lives here and thereby we have peace. 
And that peace itself is of God. Look at the second half of verse 9. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, what we now know, what we now see in part, we will know and see fully then. We will know God perfectly. We will see God perfectly for we will live near him and with him. That is what King Jesus is here to do, to restore peace by bringing people close to God, by restoring us to him, by healing the breach that our sin had made, by reconciling and bringing us close. And that's a promise not just for Israel. Look at verse 10. In that day the root of Jesse, that is Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. It is for all nations this promise. It is for all from across the world who would come to Jesus, who would trust him. This peace, this rest is theirs. The true justice he brings leads to true and lasting peace. Justice leads to peace. Where there is no justice... There is no peace. I think we, we kind of probably know that intuitively. Uh, I was watching um, Batman the other night and you see it there, don't you? you know, Batman, for those of you who not watched the, the movies, Batman lives in Gotham City and Gotham City is not a place of peace. Uh, it's not a place of rest. There's no justice there and there is no peace there. I mean, the whole city is dark, it's violent, it's dangerous and it's especially dark for Batman. You know, Batman, the, the, the caped crusader, is out there trying to bring justice. He's forever exhausted and hurt and run off his feet because he's not leading them. He's trying to fix the problem but doing it from the ground up and it's not working. And see, the thing is, it only works, there is only peace when good leadership comes. You know, a new district attorney, the good police commissioner, when they take the reins, then Batman can finally actually consider hanging up his cape and taking a break for once and having peace. What's it saying? It's saying just rule, good rule, leads to peace. I mean, we know this in our families, don't we? You know, when mum's around, well, play is maybe not harmonious, but it's at least acceptable. But when mum's out of the room, you know, anything goes. It's, 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 it's a dog-eat-world out there. Good rule leads to good justice, leads to good peace. And that's why the coming of King Jesus is so wonderful because in him we are promised perfect rule, perfect justice and as a result, perfect peace. Just as the angels sung on that night he was born as we've echoed in one of our songs, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Jesus' rule is about bringing peace to this world in the midst of violence, of injustice, of cruelty, he is the hope. Rather than watching the news and reading what our world is up to and despairing, Christmas says we have hope because the king has come, his rule to bring and his peace to extend. And one day that peace will fill the earth. One day that peace will be perfect. There won't be violence and injustice and conflict anymore. Peace will rule. For his people, that peace is ours already in part because by his death we already have peace with God. 
the previous conflict that we had through sin is ended. We're now his children. We're assured of his favour. And so we get to enjoy that peace, not only with him, but we get to enjoy it with his people whom he gathers us into. We, we sit here, we sit here as people of the king, citizens of his kingdom, and therefore called to the peace that he's come to bring. And so what we do is we practice that peace. We, we learn it. We say no to things that disturb it. We say no to selfishness, to, to self-righteousness, to division. All these things that bring conflict, we say no to. And instead practice the peace that he has won for us. We witness to the rule and the peace that he has come to bring. But not only that, we herald that peace. See, that proclamation that the angels came to bring, that's ours as well. Glory to God and peace to men through Jesus his King. Our lives, our words are testimony to that true peace. Testimony that it's possible. That it's not too late to escape judgment but that peace is here and that it's offered in him. We declare the king has come, that justice and mercy and righteousness are his to bring and a kingdom of peace that lasts forever. We call not only ourselves but those around us to submit our lives to him and to trust him and to find in him justice and peace forever. So is world peace just a nice ideal? Well, no. It's, it's actually so much more than that, isn't it? It's in fact what Christmas promises. Christmas tells us world peace is not only true, it's possible. It's actually coming, it's on its way. Not humanly speaking, not by any design or innovation of our own. Peace is here because the King has come. The true King, God's Spirit-filled King. The King of righteousness and justice. The king is here, his kingdom has come and one day it will come fully. One day his rule will be seen and the justice and peace he has already begun will fill the earth. So live in hope. Peace is coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have sent Jesus to be our king to bring his kingdom to this world, to restore it and to rescue us. Father, we see so clearly all around us that our world is broken, it's full of hurt and pain and hardship. But we praise you that in Jesus you are bringing an end to that, that by his just rule we have hope of better times, of justice, of rescue from sin and hardship and of peace that lasts forever. Help us to trust him, Help us to put our hope in the kingdom that he is bringing even today and help us now to live for him and for his true kingdom, showing justice, showing peace ourselves as we await his coming again. In his name we pray. Amen.